Alejandro from Costa Rica. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super looking forward for it. We just came back from lunch, so we're not sure how much energy we're going to have. I met Alejandro at a train station in Cluj, Romania, I think about a week or two after the war broke out. Yeah, you kidnapped me. (laughs) I kidnapped you. And I needed an extra driver to go to the border with me. And I saw this this guy who just stood out in public. He had this big wavy hair, <laughs> looked like a horse's mane. And I thought, that must be a YWAMer. <laughs> and sure enough, it, Alejandro is here with uh, associated with YWAM. You have some connections with YWAM. But I would love to go back into the story of Alejandro's life and how God really got a hold of your life. I, I remember hearing some of your story when we drove to the border at uh, Ukraine and it was really powerful. And I, if you're okay with that, we'd love sure, our listeners yeah. to hear some of that. So first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what was it like growing up in Costa Rica? Well, growing up in Costa Rica was uh, pretty warm <laughs> and humid and I said it was lovely. Um, I grew up together with my family. So I was growing up with my, um, uncles and grandparents in the same house so it was always full of people so i grew up around a lot was a lot it a, of was it a big house no <laughs> it was not that of a big house we we they only had like three bedrooms and we were living there with around maybe six people plus my grandparents always had like people who were not family they would come and stay over for a year or so wow, just not, friends. not just for a few nights so no, no, no 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 they were just year. Stay over for a year. I'm like, okay. Was that a normal Costa Rican experience, like families living together and having long-term guests? Uh, the part of family living together, it is. But having long-term guests, I think my family was just quite weird. Okay. <laughs> Costa Rica's not that big. It was like 5 million people or something. Yeah, we are actually 5 million people. We just hit 5 million people like two years ago, I think. Okay. It's a tropical paradise, right? There's just rainforests and it is great volcanoes. Yes, I always advise like to people if you wanna experience paradise on Earth, just fly to Costa Rica, skip the capital <laughs> because it ain't that pretty to be honest. But then just head straight to the rainforest, head straight to the volcanoes, and it is gorgeous. It is really, really pretty. Actually, if I'm not wrong, we are the country in the, with the most biodiversity square meter in the world so as a, a small boy growing up in a house full of chaos and family and yes uh what was it like growing up was it you have a positive experience yeah i think i have both uh growing up with family is always nice because you know you are depending on how your family is right you i felt protected i felt love but i also grew up uh without my father so my example was my grandfather and my uncles, and I have to say, my uncles were not, maybe they were like five years older than me. So they were in this period of teenagers struggling through all these uh, hormones. So that was my example also growing up. So yes, I have a good experience, but at the same time, I got into some wrong stuff when I was around seven years old, six years old. My father and my mom, they never got to get married. Actually, he was the boss of my mom uh, at work. And they just hang out together. And in one of those uh, hangout nights, here I am, <laughs> nine months later. When I was one year and a half, actually, my father told my mom that he was leaving to America. 
So he left and we never heard of him. So I grew up uh, till I was six without not even a picture of him. Didn't know how he looked, never a call, never a letter, nothing. Mm. And how was that for a young Alejandro? Do you remember going to school and seeing like mom and dad and wondering where your dad was? Yeah, that was uh, really painful. Yeah, I remember the uh, my mom was saying most of the Father Day activities that I had to do, mm-hmm. yeah, to do or act, and sometimes my uncles will come. So that was that was special to have family around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was pretty rough. Like in Christmas, I would see my cousins with her, with her my uncles, and was just like, "Hey, uh, yeah, we love you." And then, or in New Year, when the clock hits twelve midnight. Then everybody hug each other, and I'm like, yeah, I'm hugging my mom, and I love her, but I know there is a missing piece there. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I didn't say this in the beginning, but I actually grew up with two moms mm-hmm. till I was eight years old. So in some point, you kind of balance it, but it's still, as, as a man, as a young boy, you always have that desire to have your father, that male figure who is there to protect you, to really guide you, to teach you this cool stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Was that confusing to you? Um, having two moms? Uh, when I was a child, I did not really understood that I actually had two moms. Mm-hmm. I saw her more like a really close aunt. I never saw my mom and, and my other mom kissing or something like that. So it was always like in front of me, they, they hug, and, but I always thought, oh, maybe like a, like a sister, you know? So um, now growing up, after after my 12, I had this, I start questioning myself, like, mm, might have been something else. Mm-hmm. But I never really faced it, actually, till quite recent, recently, a few years ago, I I decided to face it, I decided to ask my mom, really straightforward, and, and then she, she confirmed it. And so you're growing up without a dad, you've got um, a bunch of family in the house, and take us through the teenage years and some of the struggles and things that you were going through. As you could expect, I was full of anger. <laughs> I was angry with life. I was angry with God. I offended God. When I was even eight years old, I would just look at him and say, you are... <laughs> Beep! About work. <laughs> I was so mad at God. Where did you get your concept of God? Uh, well, my family, they were all Catholic. So they would go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, or my mom would t- take me, actually, to catechism. So I knew about God. I knew the existence of God. But I hated God. So I did not deny that God existed. It was like, I'm here, you are there, and that's it. Do your business, I do my business. Uh, when I was um, growing up, I had experience, spiritual experiences as well. So I knew I could not deny God. What kind of spiritual experiences? I saw for angels when I was uh, seven years old. I got Every time that I wake up, I would see an angel standing in the living room. So I had this experience with God, but it's still I didn't knew God. Through my teenage years, I grew up with this all this angriness, and I was kicked out of school because I got into fights. Uh, like three, two times, I was kicked out. I even hit a teacher one time. So I had all this pain inside of me. Uh, my sexuality was broken. I was watching pornography since I was six years old. So uh, with my cousin, and then later when I was around 10, with my uncles, oh, we were all in the same room, and we started watching porn all together. So all my mindset about sex and was broken. I mean, it was really broken. I, even in high school with uh, growing up, going to, 
going to this public school where everything's more allowed make, make me more of a mess. And then um, I reached a point where I was going, started going to a psychologue and they were just checking me out about my anger issues, about how do I react the way that I used to react. And you know, finally, I, I said to my mom, I just want to die. Because, wow, yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> how old were you when you started going to psychologists? I started going to psychologists actually since I was like age seven. Your and mom saw you needed help or yes, how did that come about? <laughs> because uh, I was extremely afraid of dying. I couldn't even go to a, yeah, a graveyard or something like that. I couldn't even drive through it because I would panic. I was uh, in a kid's party in McDonald's and they give us, uh, they used to give like this throwing paper, right? So I draw um, a guy with a gun and some people dead and I don't know why. And then this, the McDonald's, they have their own psychologue actually. And she contacted my mom. So I started going to the psychologue to, with, the, with the McDonald's lady. Through McDonald's. Through McDonald's, yeah. This is so random, but it happened. And then uh, a friend of my mom, she knew... Um, a psychologue, and then she she check on me a little more uh, more often. Okay. So I grew up going to psychologue actually till my till I was probably eleven. Do you just curious if you you looking back? Do you see that as was that a lifesaver for you to have someone to talk with, or did that mess you up even more? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> Never really thought about it, but um, I think looking back now, even though it was really awkward many times. I think actually was what I needed because I I faithfully believe this thing. He said, no matter how introvert we are or extrovert or how much pain we have passed through or not, we are all looking for somebody to hear us out. And I think the fact that I would just go to the psychologue and she would put me to play with little cars that I was like, what is this for kids? When I was just talking, that actually helped me to put a lot of weight out of my heart. It was super awkward, but it helped me out. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward into the teenage years. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't want to dwell on your childhood development too much, but (laughs) it it was important to hear that because as you are struggling with your sexuality, angry with God, and as you mentioned, now even considering death Mm -hmm. as the option to get out of real pain. Can you take us through what happened? Yeah, so um, after after I told my mom that I wanted to to die, just die or so, uh, because I knew I was a loath. I felt like a loath for her. Um, I remember one time she, she went out to work and I was just uh, at home alone. I went to the cabinet of the bathroom and I just took a bunch, bunch of pills. Thanks God, I just went into a deep sleep and I wake up later. But uh, <laughs> I tried to do that two times. And the last time that I tried to kill myself was by asphyxiating myself. I tried to do that. Yeah, that was actually pretty shocking. It was also the first time that I actually pray out loud to God. But I just say, listen, God, if you do exist, and I remember this clearly, I was in the living room downstairs, and I say, if you do really exist, you have to save my life because I have tried sexuality. I've tried uh, even alcohol with my friends, and I'm going to end up killing myself. I was 12, not 13. Suddenly, uh, three days later, I'm in my neighborhood, just hanging out with my friends, sitting down in the sidewalk, and just doing stupid stuff that teenagers do in the uh, late nights. And then we see these five guys coming into our neighborhood, and we're like, well, 
these guys don't are not from their neighborhood. It's pretty late. This might be something, bro. So my friend asked me to grab some knives in case of. Yeah, we were some knives. Yeah, I mean, man, we are in Latin America. We are not in Europe here. No. Survival. <laughs> Survival skills, you know? Alejandro, so 13, 14 year old, you're part of a gang, you didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, no, one of my guy was just like this neighborhood friends, and we were like, okay, we have to survive, Eve. So I got grabbed these knives out of his house, come out, and he looked at me, and he like, put the knives down. So I put the knives down, and then uh, <laughs> as I walk out, this guy started caring about God. And yeah, they're saying God is a father and God love you and all these things that we have heard all over and over and over again. And the first thing I thought was like, dude, that's crap. I don't have a father. That's how can God be a father when I don't even have a father here? That's just crap. But then the guy keep talking, he said, you know, you maybe feel that you have tried this and this and this. And I'm like, well, that's not like my prayer. So I give it a chance to God. So I say, okay, I'll take it. And I, I took it. I, I pray with them. The prayer, I think, that we all have done at a certain point of our lives. Put your hand in your heart. Pray this prayer with me. And I did it. And I would not say I felt completely, completely different, but I did feel like there's something there. I don't know what it was in that moment, but there was something there. So they invited me to, invite me to a home group. I started going. And did any of your friends pray as well? Yeah, we all did it. Yeah. Any, any of the prayers stick? Mine only. Okay. <laughs> the guys from the neighborhood, they were coming because they, the leader was quite pretty. Mm. <laughs> you know, that so they would be coming, but then after it became too spiritual, they were like, ah, we ain't going there. Yeah, this isn't going in the direction we <laughs> needed to. Indeed. But you, you had brokenness. You had real, real pain. Yeah. And so in, in your prayer, there was a measure of desperation. I was desperate, yeah. I knew... If God wouldn't, I mean, God was my last resource because of my broken relationship with him. So the, for me to get to the point that I didn't even ask or call my uncle or my aunt or a cousin and tell him how I felt, I just scream out to God. I just felt like it's now life or death point where I feel right now. Mm. So for me, that was a moment where I had to make a decision. So you start going to these Bible studies and developing relationships with people. Yeah. And I lost my friends from the friends from the neighborhood. They would not talk to me anymore because I became a Christian. So I prayed to God to give me new friends. So I started connecting with people in the church. I started uh, growing, uh, getting some healing. Uh, also getting confronted by some things in my life. That's, that was my experience in my teenage years where I was more about finding God, finding myself. How can I forgive my, forgive my father? How can I forgive myself? How I can forgive my uncles? How I can forgive all these people who damaged me? Trying to to accept that life life happens. We want we want it to happen or not, and sometimes we just can't control it. And I think that's how it felt for me. Like I just I was just being led by all the circumstances in my life, and until that point where I was like, okay, now it's enough. I know I will not be able to have control of my life hundred percent, but that's fine. But I need to know. I'm okay. In that moment, I stopped and I just started thinking, okay, God, what is your plan with me? Where do I need healing? Just dig out all this dirt and it hurt. Mm. It hurt a lot. And it wasn't like in a special moment. It was over a period of years. Yeah, it was a period of years. It was not, uh, I wish it would have been just like Paul, you know, just like this and everything changed. Oof. But no, it took a, a while. It took a, actually, 
till now, I think God is still working out stuff in my life, in my, in my sexuality. Uh, God is still working out stuff. So that's, I think, I think like what Paul say in the Bible, like I have this thing in me, but it keeps me humble. I don't think, of course, the struggle with the sexuality is that God intended to be like that. But at some point, it's something that it keeps me close, looking, it keeps me looking for God more often because I know I need God in order to conquer this area that it was broken since I was a child. Mm-hmm. So even though if I don't give in into pornography or into something else, I know it's something that I feel temptated and attracted to. So I know I require God in order to, to be able to stay away. Mm-hmm. When I think of where you're at now, there seems like you're in Romania, you're doing mission work with your beautiful wife and daughter. Yeah. And we'll get to them in just a second. It seems like not just the geographical chasm, Costa Rica, Romania, but how far God has brought you yeah. from this teenage years of turmoil and this simple prayer. Uh, can you give us a, a high-level overview of how you went from those Bible studies, new friends, new community, starting to get healed? We have somebody vacuuming upstairs or something. So I think it rain. Oh, is it rain? It's rain, yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's like Costa Rica. Yeah, it's still feeling home. <laughs> how how did you end up here? How did you get married? Give us the bird's eye view. All right. So, yeah, I started going to home group. I started growing to the church. That's how I became a youth leader uh, for four years, five years. And so I opened my own home group. I had people uh, that I was teaching, that I was discipleship, uh, disi- discipling. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And it was a great experience. I love it. Each part of it, I love it a lot. I had great leaders as well. So I think something that helps me through my conversion till now was to have the right people next to me. People who actually, they never really judged me. They really helped me through, even if I would just call them like 11 p.m. and say, hey man, I'm watching porn now, help me out. <laughs> it would just, they would be, be like, okay, it's fine. Drop it. Uh, we pray for you. Come over. Stuff like that. So that was really good to have people that I could just trust my heart and just be open to. I always felt the need for broken people to, to go, to help, to care. It's something that even now, uh, like we were talking earlier at lunch, it's something that actually really drives my heart and because it was something that I needed in some point in my life and I didn't ever had. And I never had that secure place to really start or to do something till I met God. And... So I started getting involved with a missionary organization, helping out in locally, started do, uh, do, organizing um, youth events to go and feed the homeless people, to go and evangelize in the streets. So I got really involved with, in all this Christian work. And I just kept dreaming. I, I knew I had a, a vision also that God called me to the, to the nations. And a lot of people, while they were praying, different people that they didn't know each other, they prayed and they all felt the same direction. A really good friend of mine from America, he started supporting me without I even knew uh, knew about it, just to do local missions and stuff. And that was really a blessing. And then that confirmed a lot of what God intended for my life. I just see open doors, go, uh, and I started just walking through them. In one of those doors, there was a, was a big conference in Latin America, in Costa Rica, actually, where teams from Panama, Mexico, Holland, anywhere in the world, they would, they would come together with like a missionary convention and... They were just sharing experience. One of those themes was my wife. She was, uh, well, she's from Holland, the Netherlands, but she was serving in Panama, our neighbor country. So they came over. And then 
she says, <laughs> this is really funny, because in that moment I was not looking to get into a relationship or anything because I just had a horrible break, break up with a girl. But then <laughs> I see this beautiful Dutch girl coming and intro she introduced herself to me. She's like, hi, my name is Rosanna. How are you? I said, oh, hi, my name is Alejandro. We start talking and we talked like for three days in the conference. And then uh, each of our teams departed to different areas in the country to evangelize. At the end of the conference, we, we decided to exchange Facebook and phone numbers. And <laughs> that was in 2014. And for the next two years and a half, we would be doing uh, Skype, we would uh, talk through WhatsApp, through Facebook, till the point that she was like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I want to do missions. And you, and she said, I want to do it as well. I'm about to finish my study, she said, in September. And I'm not going to do nothing for the next three months. So either you come now or you don't come anymore. <laughs> like, wow, that's a woman of decision. <laughs> so I, I, I went. I went to the Netherlands, met her friends, met her parents, meet her again after two years and a half. And we decided to, to come to Romania. We were working with gypsies, with a local organization, and we fell in love with Romania. We definitely did. And then uh, in December 2016, we flew back to Costa Rica together so she could meet my parents and my family and my friends. And then in 2017, we got married and we decided to go back to Romania to do Bible schools, to serve the people, to serve, serve gypsies, Romanians, Hungarians as well. And so far, here, here are we. And then last year, our beautiful daughter was born. It's funny that you asked this question because just... Four days ago, I was just talking with Rosanna and I say, I could have never, ever imagined in my life I would be here. Never. A guy from Costa Rica, from a broken family, where only broken marriages in my family, where uh, a year ago, I grew up without a father. I was about to kill myself. I have terrible breakups because I had a terrible sexuality. And now I'm here. I have a treasure of a family. I could never ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that comes to my mind is this Bible verse. I think it's in Jeremiah that it says, I will, I will show you things that the heart haven't seen or the eyes haven't seen or heard. And it's like a song in my life because if I look back, there's not a chance if God would haven't been in the equation that I would even get that far in my life. I don't know if, if, God, if I were having God, probably by the age of 20, I would not even be here. <laughs> yeah, I think for all of you who are listening or, or watching, I, I would just say I, it might be a scary to give a chance to God because once you open a, a door to God, he doesn't come for the 5%, he comes for 110% of you. It's scary, it feels, it's painful, but it is 100% worth it. 100% worth it. I, I don't regret that at all. Having a daughter now... And being a father, what are some of the things that you're learning about God? Wow, <laughs> so much. <laughs> I think, of course, I, I learned so much about God, like, you know, his father heart. You know, like, I, I felt so many times, I'm like, man, I don't know if he's going to be, be willing to forgive me after 100,000 mistakes, even now knowing him. But then I looked at my daughter, I'm like, you can bury this house down. I will still love you with my whole heart. And then that is like, 
Well, but if I'm a father, I'm a human father, and have this corrupted love, how much can, can the perfect love love me? Actually, I wrote down today a post on Instagram. She has teached me more about myself than what I would expect from, a, from my own daughter. Mm-hmm. I would expect, I would teach her so many things. In this year and a half, she has taught me more than I could have probably ever learned about my character, my, my weaknesses, but also my strengths, how far I'm willing to go for, for love. And she actually has taught me so much about the love and not just the emotional feeling, but actually just the decision. We heard that a lot of, a lot of time, but it's so real. Mm-hmm. It is just so real. Because when you're awake at 3 a.m. and you haven't slept anything and you have to change diapers, man, that's a challenge too. <laughs> After a month of not sleeping. But <laughs> it's interesting how it teaches us both about the father, but like you're saying about ourselves. And I, as a father of a bunch of kids, I remember the first few children uh, coming, going into their rooms at night while they're sleeping because it's just amazing. Yeah, you're just looking at this helpless, vulnerable daughter or son. And in those moments, the kind of hearing voice, you know, that like, that's how I see you. Mm-hmm. And that does undermine a lot of our own experiences because we've been loved by imperfect love yet to exchange kind of that perception of sometimes very broken perception of who we think God might be for something more powerful you know, it can be so scary, like you're yeah. saying. Like I was reading today uh, in Matthew, John the Baptist from prison says, you know, are you the one? And Jesus says, go tell them, you know, the, the blind can see and the, the dead are raised, I'm sorry, and the sick, you know, are healed. And then there's a verse at the end of it that struck me, and it says, you know, blessed are those who are not offended by this. Aren't, they don't stumble over Jesus. And I thought, what, what is there to stumble over? Why is it so offensive? This, what is he doing? He's not going around robbing people. Yeah. He's bringing love. He's not bringing destruction. He's bringing healing. And yet we are, we are terrified. I think of this, uh, surrendering into this kind of love mm-hmm. because it, it's so reforms and kind of deconstructs all that we know, and we love this certainty. This certainty is our reality. You know, it's stability to us. Even if you were raised in a broken home in Costa Rica, it still was what you knew. Yeah. And yet this love, this perfect love, is still transforming you today. Yeah. And actually, it's, it's beautiful because this perfect love has transformed a lot of my family. Like, if, if I look back, has he has not only fathered me, but as, as a word of God says, me and my house will serve the Lord. I remember accepting God, and for the next two years, I started just praying hard. And, and my mom, actually, she got married with my stepfather now. She, they are serving both the Lord. They are actually uh, in the church leadership. My stepfather, he was uh, involved in alcoholism. He was the manager of a bar. He quit his job, even without even having a job, just to, to pursue God. And I just see how perfect love, once you allow yourself to be filled up with him, can change your surroundings. Sur- surroundings. surroundings, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and something that you said, you know, about how getting to know this love 
of a father and also what they teach us about that it can be scary what the kids can teach us that it can be scary I, I felt the same way I remember when Rosanna I found out that Rosanna was pregnant I was so scared I'm like I never had a father what am I going to teach her <laughs> and this is crazy but I always actually I always wanted to have a daughter because and I, I realized about it a few months ago I was so afraid to have a son and fail him because my that, that my father failed me. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm okay. I, I'm over it. I'm okay. If God decided to give us a song, actually, I, I pretty love it too as well. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. But those are things that, that we don't understand until we are willing to lay down all our all our walls. How you say, you know, we have to lay it down. That's why we as people get offended sometimes with God, not because He's robbing us, you say, but because it requires all of us, everything of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, in some point, the beauty. Right. That he's so interested in our brokenness. Like, if you meet somebody, you have a friend, your friend can be interested in a certain amount of your brokenness. But that's it. I can only help you through here. I can only hear your brokenness still here. I also have my problems. But God is like, oh, no, go, go ahead. Keep going. I just go for it. And if you want to close your door, that's fine. I will be just waiting outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the beauty of God, that he's wild like a lion. He will mm-hmm. just go for it, take it, but at the same time, he's gentle as, as, as a dove. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And you've experienced the good shepherd. Yeah. Who knows how to get in there and guide and encourage, but not force. But I love what you say about, you know, God wanting all of us. And Christianity, I was thinking, it is just not worth it halfway. I mean, halfway vulnerability, halfway surrender. This is really why religion becomes so popularized because it's, it's easy to take, you know, some of the pieces, yeah. the outward obedience, the going to church on Sundays and just the rhythms that really anybody can do. But how hard is it to surrender into love? Yeah. That is a, I don't know if there's anything more powerful on this side of eternity. I love Love what you're sharing and the depth of which you're sharing from your experience, Alejandro. Can you maybe give us a little picture of what's next for you and your wife? You're in Romania. You've been serving. Over lunch, you shared some of your vision. And, you know, that that also is connected to your heart for the broken and the marginalized. What do you feel God leading you to next? Yeah, so for the, I think this is the beginning of our marriage, me and my wife. We always have dream about this place that is gonna be hope giving to people, place where people can come. Just not only people who are at risk or in situations that are really broken, but uh, people who just need to find out again their way. They just need a place to be cared for, to be loved, to be discipled, to be just taken into a family. We have dreamed with this place for a long time. We are in a stage of our life in our marriage where we are like, okay, we'd like to move towards it. So now we are. Um, yeah, we're praying for it, but at the same time, we're fundraising for it. We found a place that we would like to buy, and it also fits all the boxes that we have thought about what we will need. So we're in that phase of just trusting God again. We have seen a lot of answer. We have seen a lot of uh, of favor of God from things in places that we didn't know even expect and not even knock, knock the doors. And you had mentioned like those, the coming out of programs, whether it's drug addiction or prostitutions, yeah. like c- coming out of those places and getting on their feet. Yeah. So 
some of the things that we have seen, at least in the city where we, where we live here in Romania, is that there is lots of lots of youngers becoming prostitutes from the age 14, 13. We see them standing in the side of the roads, out of the cities. So that's something that breaks our hearts. And there was actually a ministry working with these ladies. Now the ministry shut down. So right now there's not really nobody there for them. We know many of these people are not there because, oh, it's their choice. No, I believe and we know that many of these people are there because they have literally no money or their family are in need or they're obligated or stuff like that. And the only thing they need is just a safe place to come and be. But not only that, we also know about uh, orphans who uh, they get they get to 18 years old and then they have to leave the place because they are, they are uh, above the age limit. They have no place to go. They want to study. They want to get a job, but they have no place to go. So it's this gap where they are not uh, in poverty, but they're also not there yet. And there is this gap that people sometimes overlook. And we, we have seen this, and it's something that we would like to, to be able to not maybe fulfill all the needs because <laughs> we are humans. It's not possible for us to fulfill all their needs. But we would like to be that place where they can come, be loved, be supported, be encouraged, be disciple, be t- taken care of, and they can for a moment be like, oh, I can breathe again. And I think many of us can relate in some point of our lives. We will have love to have this oasis of just take a deep breath, close your eyes, and don't have to worry what you're going to eat today, what you're going to eat tomorrow, or if somebody or if you somebody's going to come and sell your body. You know, those are hard, hard things that people wish for a place of, Oh, I mm-hmm. can start my life again. Mm-hmm. So our goal with it is that we can provide the support they need either to study or to or to get a job and, of course, to meet God. That's, that's our priority because we know how God can change life. Alejandro, I love your faith, your heart. If you've noticed on the podcast, we invite people in that, that serve on the margins, and that's on purpose. I think a few years ago, I didn't really appreciate myself essence of the kingdom work. You know, what does it mean when the kingdom of God comes to our neighborhood, to our street, to our village? If you read in Luke, when he stands up and he reads from Isaiah 61 and 42 together, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What? You know, to build these churches and have wonderful production moments or no, it was to preach the good news to the poor. And then he goes on to explain who the poor are, the imprisoned, you know, those that are sick, the widows, the orphans. Read through the Gospels and watch Jesus' life like a movie, like a narrative. You see him going outside of the power structures where those, are, those people are immobile. And so poor is not financial alone. Poor is being stuck, being oppressed, being without options, yeah. without choices. And I love your heart to create space where you're honoring the individual. You're bringing dignity to their soul. While you're doing that, That's you're participating in Jesus' ministry. It's still going today. We never have to question if doing Jesus' ministry is God's will. He came to show us his heart. And so love that. Um, If you are touched by Alejandro's story and want to just send him uh, an encouragement, I'll post his Facebook or Instagram in the description below. 
and do share this with somebody who maybe comes to your mind right now that is maybe tried to take their life or in a place where they feel there's no hope. Alejandro's life is a testimony that Jesus, he's alive. Amen. Yes, he is. He's still hunting like that lion, caring like the shepherd. Thank you, Alejandro, for your ministry in Romania. Hello to your wife and your daughter's name. Naada. Naada, so Rosanna and Naada. Pray for Alejandro and his next steps in uh, in Romania. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure. And I really hope that, yeah, that these guys speak to your heart. And it only takes three seconds of bravery to say yes. To say yes to God. <laughs>